A reading from Amos. Seek the Lord and live, or he will break out against the house of Joseph like fire, and it will devour Bethel with no one to quench it. Ah, you that turn justice to wormwood and bring righteousness to the ground. They hate the one who reproves in the gate, and they abhor the one who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and take from them levies of grain, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and push aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, the prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, just as you have said. Hate evil and love good, and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. The word of the Lord. A reading from Hebrews. Indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him no creature is hidden, but all are naked, and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel today comes from the book of St. Mark, the 10th chapter, beginning with the 17th verse. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not defraud, honor your father and your mother. The man said to him, Teacher, I have kept all of these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. When the man heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, 
Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children, and fields with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. My dearest siblings, grace and peace to you from God in whom we live and move and have our being. Amen. Um, Imagine Jesus coming up and saying this to you. I mean, I want you to actually imagine for a second Jesus coming up and saying to you, you must sell all of your possessions, give them to the poor, and then come follow me. Think about how you would respond to Jesus saying that statement. Is it something that you would just happily do? Is it something you would question? Is it something you would be sad about? I think, um, I think even before we can imagine Jesus saying this to us, we have to go back a little bit and realize that it's the rich man who initiates the question here. Jesus doesn't just come up to him and say, hey, go do this. It's the rich man who comes up and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And before we can understand the gravity of Jesus' response here, sell your possessions and follow me, we have to understand the question that the rich man is asking. Because for a long time, we have misunderstood it. And the rich man is not asking, what must I do to go to heaven after I die? And I know I preach on this all the time. It's because I want to beat it into you, proverbially. Because this is such a big misunderstanding in our biblical tradition today. Jewish people in antiquity, Jewish people today, did not believe that there was this reward waiting for them after they die. I mean, a lot of you hear that, that a Jewish response, especially at, 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 at toasts and parties and stuff, l'chaim means to life. Jewish people are not oriented to an afterlife destination. Some believed in it in, in Jesus' time, but not many. And in even those who did in Jesus' time, that was not their focus. This rich man, being a Jewish person, would not have been focused on an afterlife experience. The question he is asking here when he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life, is how do I live more fully into God's kingdom now? Jewish people in antiquity did believe that at some point, God was going to uh, uh, reconcile all of the earth that God was going to end injustice and pain and sorrow, poverty, all of these things, war, famine, drought, and create peace on earth, not some afterlife destination. The rich man is asking, how do I live into this kingdom now? And Jesus responds, you know what the commandments are. The rich man is doing everything right, and he says that. I have done all of these things since my youth. But Jesus points out to him there is one obstacle, one obstacle lying in his way. Not an obstacle that will prevent him from getting to heaven after he dies, but an obstacle that is right there right now that is preventing him from living into God's kingdom fully now. 
Go and sell all of your possessions, give them to the poor, and then come and follow me. Now, the English here does not do justice to the sadness that the man feels at this response. The Greek is a lot bigger. The man isn't just sad. He's not kind of bummed out because he's got a lot of stuff and he doesn't want to get rid of them. The man is despondent. It's not a simple emotion. It is something that goes down into his entire being and makes him feel this fully. He is completely devastated because this is an immense obstacle standing in his way from living fully into God's kingdom now. In a way, I feel like this is a story about the church, the big C, the capital C, church. Especially after Constantine makes Christianity decriminalized and Theodosius makes Christianity the state religion of the Roman Empire, I feel like this could be a story where we could put the church in place of the rich man. The church comes up to Jesus and says, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says to the church, give up your wealth. Establish justice at the gates. Stand with the oppressed. Follow me. And I feel that the church was infected with that same sadness, that same despondence. And instead of giving up its wealth, instead of establishing justice at the gates, instead of following this way of life, the church said, ah, that's, that's too hard, Jesus. Instead, we're going to center ourselves on creating a belief system over a way of life. We're going to tell people that they should focus on an afterlife experience and that they should be worried about their own personal salvation. We're going to create dogma and doctrine and theology to support these things. That is a lot easier than to enter into this way of life that you have called us. Now, I know that's a little hyperbolic of me to say, but the truth is that's what the church has done for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. I also recognize that as a pastor, I spend a lot of time examining the larger church, and I do. I look at the trends in our society, at what's happening with the church, church decline, why it's going on, understanding the history of the church, uh, not just in our country, but throughout centuries from its inception. And I realize that what's happening in the larger church doesn't always pertain to our little valley, doesn't always pertain to our little community church here. But the larger church being this way for so long has trickled down. It has created generations of churches who have been more centered in a belief system over a way of life, who have been centered in a worship experience over a way of life and has created individuals who are more centered in a personal relationship with God and Jesus instead of trying to experience that relationship through love and compassion of those around us, especially those who are suffering and those who are in need. Now, I want to say that um, churches having a belief system Worshiping God, having a personal relationship with God and Jesus, those are not bad things. But folks, read the gospel text again. Jesus is so unbelievably explicit here. Jesus doesn't say, worship me to encounter the fullness of God's kingdom. Jesus doesn't say, believe in me to encounter the fullness of God's kingdom. Jesus says, follow me 
follow me to experience the fullness of God's kingdom here and now. Amos, our Old Testament text, the prophet Amos, reminds us that to follow Jesus is to establish justice at the gate. Do you know why why Amos is saying that justice happens at the gate? Because that's where all of the people who had been ostracized and kicked out were forced to beg, were forced to find some kind of a subsistence. It was at the gate to beg to travelers who were coming in and out because their community was no longer taking care of them. Amos says that we must establish justice at the gate. We must care for the poor. We must care for those who are in need, the ostracized and the oppressed among us. And our gospel story reminds us today poignantly that there is an obstacle that exists between each and every one of us and this way of life that we are called to. But folks, to understand what that obstacle is, we have to understand the question. Again, the rich man is not asking, what must I do to get to heaven after I die? The rich man is asking, what must I do to live more fully into God's kingdom now? And this obstacle lies before him that prevents him from doing such thing. And so the question that I want each and every one of you asking yourselves today, I really want you to ask yourselves this. I want you to reflect on it. Meditate on it. Think about it. What is your obstacle? What is the obstacle? Not the one that is preventing you from getting to heaven after you die. Jesus took care of that on the cross, folks. That's not a question we need to concern ourselves with. The obstacle for each and every one of us is what is preventing you from living more fully into God's kingdom here and now? What is preventing you from establishing justice at the gate, from caring for the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed among us? What is preventing you from living fully into this way of life that Jesus calls us to? For the rich man, it was his vast wealth. That might be the case for some of us. I mean, he did everything right, but there was still something preventing him. For others, it might be our comfort, our apathy. It might be that we are centered in a belief system or or worship over a way of life. It might be a fear of risk of being out there and, and trying to establish justice at the gate for fear of pushback by those around us, our community members. For me, it's often that I stand up here and I intellectualize, I theologize, I talk the talk. But so often I struggle with walking the walk. Now, I don't really have a way to wrap this sermon up. I kind of want to leave this open-ended because I really want you to think about this. What is your obstacle? But I will say this. When we look at the history of the church, and not just recent history, when we look at hundreds and hundreds of years of history of the church, we see that it has centered itself as a belief system over a way of life for so long. And I can't help but think throughout all of that history, how many opportunities has the church missed out on to establish justice at the gate, to care for the poor 
and the oppressed. Not just to help people for a day, but to systematically change their lives and bring God's kingdom here and now. How many opportunities has the church missed out on for so long by centering itself as a belief system versus a way of life? Think of how many opportunities all of the Christians throughout the world and history have missed out on, even today. And as I was thinking about this, I came across this story from a book called The Wisdom of the Sadhu. The story goes that there was once a hunter wandering in the forest, and the hunter found some very beautiful stones and thought these would be wonderful stones with which to try and catch fish with. And so with their slingshot, the hunter took turns at the river casting these stones, and sometimes the stones would strike a fish and it would rise to the top, and the hunter would collect them, and sometimes he would miss. But regardless, each of those stones disappeared into the deep of the river. After the hunter had caught enough fish, he collected them together and went along his way. Sometime later, he was traveling in a marketplace of a nearby town, flicking up in the air the very last stone that he had and catching it. And while he was doing this, a local jeweler saw the stone and ran up to him and said, My goodness, what a beautiful stone. It's actually a ruby, and I will give you 10,000 rupees for that stone. The hunter fell to his knees and screamed, Woe is me! How many stones did I just cast into the river and watch them sink to the deep? And then he stood up, looked at the jeweler and smiled and said, But thank God I still have this one. When that obstacle for you is removed, even if it's just for a moment, that gem remains, that, that, that time that each of us has left in front of us, the ways, the opportunities that we have before us with which we can still follow Jesus. Every single one of us in this room has those before us, those precious stones remaining. God's kingdom is still right here, right now, in each and every one of you. It is in these quilts upon these pews that go with our blessings. It is in the food that we give out every Tuesday. It is in the divine community that we're going to experience together in a moment. God's kingdom is still here right now, waiting to be held, waiting to be experienced, waiting to be shared. Amen.